You know, my late parents were uh, very wise people, and they taught me, and indeed my sister, many wise and sensible things. And one of the things that they taught us was, don't believe half the nonsense that's in the newspapers, or indeed in the media these days. And the older I get, the more I realise just how wise they were. For instance, I read this recently. In a parable of biblical proportions, our government have offered a compelling new vision for Britain. Yeah, right. In a parable of biblical proportions, our government have offered a compelling new vision for Britain. Now, I'm not a a political person, but irrespective of your politics, if anyone thinks that the antics of any Prime Minister, whoever it is today, and politicians are anything like the parables of Scripture, well, my friends, you're not reading the same Bible that I read, I've got to say. For the parables of Jesus, the stories that he told whilst he was teaching and preaching. They're full of instruction. They're full of intrigue. They're full of meaning and depth. And the one that Graham has read so well for us today from Matthew's Gospel, well, it could surely teach our political leaders a thing or three, couldn't it? Jesus was telling the Pharisees, those who had assumed leadership roles, to wind their necks in to stop behaving as if they'd been put in charge for their own good. Now, the parable is a straightforward enough story. A landowner establishes a working vineyard on his land, and once he'd done that, he built a high wall around it. He put in some tenant farmers to tend it, to look after it, and then he goes on his holidays. And while he's away on his travels, he uh, sends some servants to collect that which is due to him, only for those servants to be thrown out with some force. And eventually the landowner sends his own son to collect the dues, but the tenant farmers want to keep everything for themselves, and so the landowner's son is killed. And needless to say, that upsets him a bit. It's the kind of story that an EastEnders uh, scriptwriter would be proud of, isn't it? But there's questions to ask. What's it all about? What's the teaching here? What does it mean? Is the vineyard meant to represent the church? Or maybe does it represent the kingdom of God? And I suppose that's plausible. A vineyard image is sometimes used in Scripture as God's kingdom. But nowhere in Scripture is there mention of a God who goes away on his holidays, a God who leaves us to fend for ourselves. This story, this parable, is a reflection upon us, on how we live our lives, on how we treat the kingdom of God here on earth, in the here and the now.
Those tenant farmers had conned themselves into thinking that the landowner had gone off somewhere and left them in sole charge, left them to rule the roost with absolute power and authority. The landowner had erected a high wall, a high fence, and the tenants felt that that would keep him out so that they could do as they wished. But let's just have a close look at some of the images from these verses from Matthew's Gospel. You know, sometimes people think that the only thing that interests God is that that happens inside church. Some people think that God is only interested in people who are pious. You know, like the person sitting in your seat. That one, yeah. Sometimes people think that that's all that interests God. He doesn't want to know about things out there, just that which happens in his church. But let's be very clear, friends. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our God is a wonderful God. There is no limit to his love and no limit to his kingdom. His love is never-ending doesn't come to an abrupt halt at the doors of a church. Isaiah 40, verse 28, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And putting it bluntly, those of us who attend church regularly must not get too big for our boots. And if we ever do, those who don't come very often shall kick us back down to earth. We mustn't get so bound up in the details of church that we forget the wonder of God's love. A love that holds us dear. A love that's worldwide. A love that's universal. It's that love which has held us dear. It's that love which has embraced us for 50 years of the United Reformed Church. You know, in a couple of months' time, our thoughts are going to turn um, to nativity. We're going to be thinking of a stable in Bethlehem. And there we'll focus on the never-ending love of God, so clearly shown in the birth of Jesus, the Christ child. And we're going to enjoy it, aren't we? (laughs) Of course we are. But Christmas, yes, in all its joys and festivities, Christmas is the promise of God's love. But Easter is surely the proof of that love. There's a story about a little boy and his father who were uh, travelling in a car one day along a country road in a beautiful spring afternoon. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a bumblebee, a huge great bumblebee, flew in through the window and the boy was scared. He didn't want to get stung. But his father reacted quickly. He reached out and grasped that bee and took it in its hand. A few moments went by And the father released the bee and it flew away. And there, in the palm of his hand, was the stinger from the bee. 
And the father said to the son, you don't need to worry anymore. You don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. And as believers, we know that Christ, through the wonder of the cross and the glory of resurrection, has taken the sting for us. He's taken the sting out of death and sin. Oh, Christmas, yes, is the promise of God's love, and yes, we'll have a good time. But Easter, through the death and resurrection of our Lord, is surely the proof of that never-ending love. You know, uh, sadly, there are churches that get bogged down. Churches that get bogged down or preoccupied. They talk about hymn books, chairs, heating systems, and all of that. And those things are important. But they are nowhere near as important as the essential work of mission and the proclamation of the gospel. They are nowhere near as vital as kingdom growth and subsequent church growth. And that's where our emphasis should be. Or worse still, you know, there are churches that get so introvert that they become standoffish towards the community that they serve. And friends, if we ever get like that here... I pray that God will give us a good shake-up. Because our work and our ministry is here in the church, but it's more important in the community. Sharing the love of God, giving away 1,500 uh, cups of hot chocolate and more. Not because it makes us look good, not because we like to feel good, haven't we done well? (laughs) No. But because that is what God would have of us in ministry, in love, reaching out to this community and sharing the love of God with them. Can you ever imagine a ring-fenced church? No. And if there is one, I don't want to be part of it. Can you ever imagine God containing himself to the four walls of this building? No. And we must never, ever allow it to happen. But what about the image of those tenant farmers? Landowner had gone away. They'd become uh, self-assured. They shut out all challenges. They were the assumed authority, don't you know? Some while ago, I had the privilege of conducting a wedding, one of many, And I remember distinctly the bridegroom coming up to me and introducing me to his mother. Oh, he said, this is my dear mama. Without her, I would be nothing. I'm not sure what his bride thought about that on the day, but still, that's another story. This is my mama. Without her, I would be nothing. Friends, without God, we would be nothing nothing. Oh, we may like to think that we're independent. We may like to think that we can look after ourselves, don't you know? But the reality is that we owe our very existence to God. And each and every day that we live in this God-given, God-sustained world is a gift from him. And unless we allow God 
to have his way in our lives, both as individuals and certainly corporately as a fellowship, we run the risk of abandoning ourselves. Unless we allow God to rule supreme in all we are and in all that we do, we will perish. But there's one final image for us to think on. The landowner went away. New Revised Standard Version of Scripture says he went to another country. Uh, the, the NIV says he went on a journey. You know, our landowner, our God, never goes away. He never takes a rest. He never leaves us to fend for ourselves. I think there are three stages of life. There's the days of our youth. Do you remember those days? There are the days of our middle age. And then there's the, oh, you do look good for your age days, aren't they? Whatever stage of life you're at, however old, however young, our God loves you totally. And nothing will ever separate you from that love. No matter who you are, no matter where you are. God loves you. And if you go home from church today with nothing else, go home in the sure and the certain knowledge of God's never-ending love for you wherever you're at and whatever's happening on life's journey. We all like to feel appreciated, don't we? Especially when we have uh, wonderful times of joy and celebration. We like to feel loved and appreciated, don't we, Marion? Especially when it's our birthday. (laughs) Oh, amen. And we enjoy those wonderful times, of course we do. And in those times of joy and celebration, amen. But even when times are rough, when times are difficult, when life seems an uphill struggle, God is still there, embracing us in his love, supporting us and guiding us and directing us. And we must allow him to do just that, to have his way with us. But how can we do that? How can we keep that love and share that love? How can we put God's amazing love into practice? Well, quite simply, by being the people that God would have us be. In our reading from Psalm 8 that uh, was read for us, you have ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. You know, we are called upon to lift our adoration and praise to God continuously in order that the forces of evil that do exist in this world are silenced and done away with. And when we do that, when we constantly communicate with our Heavenly Father in worship and in prayer and in thanksgiving, when we give all that we are and all that we do to him, we will receive the riches and joys of his blessings beyond their possible imagination. 
Let me finish with a story. Do you like stories? Yeah, get comfortable where you're sitting. Come on, we got story time. Once upon a time, a man rushed to a garden centre. It wouldn't have been me, I've got to tell you, but still. He rushed to a garden centre and uh, he said to the man, he said, I must have some potted red geraniums. They must be potted red geraniums. Oh, I'm sorry, said the, uh, the nurseryman. He said, we're completely sold out of geraniums. I've got none to sell you. But uh, I'm more than happy to give you a deal on something else. What about some African violence instead? Oh, no, replied the man in a terrible panic. You don't understand. It was the geraniums my wife told me to water while she was away. Sorry about that. (laughs) Friends, as Christian believers, as people of faith, we don't live lives in fear for the things that we've done or the things that we've not done. God understands all that. As believers, we live in the kingdom of God. As believers, we live in glorious freedom. Here, held in the glorious, never-ending love of an ever-living God. A God who watches over us. A God who wants to steer us in his direction with his wisdom and his blessing and his direction. A God who promises his love at Christmas and who proves his love beyond compare at Easter. And for that, surely we say today, thanks be to God. Amen.